Today on Red Dead Radio, we got Bayonetta in the studio. <laughs> Welcome to Red Dead Radio, the Red Dead Redemption Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Petty, and as always, we're going straight to the Wild Wild Guest. We're going straight to the Wild Wild Guest. We're going straight to the Wild Wild Guest. Yeah! Casey DeFritis. Casey DeFritis, indeed. Known as? Known as Bayonetta in the IGN comments. The IGN comments <laughs> section, indeed. You do have a striking resemblance uh, uh, to Bayonetta. I, I see it. I definitely don't try. So I always explain to everyone, it's like, why are you doing your hair like Bayonetta? And I have to say, I'm not doing my hair like Bayonetta. I'm doing my hair like my Monster Hunter character. Oh, okay. Is Bayonetta copying your Monster Hunter character? Yes. Okay. Monster Hunter, <laughs> Pokemon, you are known for these things. Yes. As a matter of fact, we had Tina Amini on a few weeks ago, and she said on the show she was going to do a Casey impression, and then she just oh. said Pokemon and went on. <laughs> And that was kind of that. But your case is different from IGN. Mm-hmm. And uh, you uh, you replaced me in my old job and did way did. better than I ever did. Hey. Congratulations. I don't know about that. I do. Uh, yeah, so I, I absolutely do. Casey, welcome to Red Dead Radio. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to have you here uh, because you know all kinds of groovy things. And you have an extraordinarily unique perspective on something that we're going to talk about in just a second. Yeah. But first, I'm going to do some of that housekeeping. That's right, uh, because we have a couple things to go over. First, this episode of Red Dead Radio is brought to you by Patreon producers Dan Vale, Tom Bach, Stuart Ferguson, and Jonathan, whose generous support at reddeadradio.com makes this show possible. Just like you can, if you want to, if you like what I do here, if you like what we do here. I mean, if you're a fan of that, please, please, uh, reddeadradio.com, you can support us there on Patreon. Second, and uh, perhaps uh, uh, even more importantly, uh, this week, no sponsor. Uh, instead, I really would like to point you, if you go to twitter.com slash pettycommajared, P-E-T-T-Y-C-O-M-M-A-J-A-R-E-D, the pinned tweet on there is a link to the GoFundMe of my friend Chloe Rad, our friend Chloe yes. Rad. Uh, her father has cancer. Uh, I know firsthand uh, from a pretty rough experience a few years ago just what medical bills in the United States can do to people. Uh, Chloe is hands down one of the most trustworthy, kind, thoughtful people I've ever worked with anywhere in anything. And uh, she's deserving your help. If you have it to give, uh, please do. Uh, and that's just a message I want you to remember. Again, you can just go to my Twitter, it's the pinned tweet. But hey, uh, also I want you to, to know that Red Dead Radio is made in partnership uh, with US Gamer. You can check out all the wonderful things they make, like their Red Dead Redemption 2 FAQ on usgamer.net or on usgamer.net on all the socials. I read them. I love them. Please go. They make good stuff. Check them out. And they've given me a lot of support and help. So uh, thanks a lot for that. All right. Topic of the day or topic of the first segment of yeah. the show. IGN's Casey DeFritis. You have completed the entirety of Red Dead Redemption 2. I have. And did so some time ago. Yes, I did so in 16 days after I got the game, I was done with it. 16 days? What a precise count. How did you know that it was exactly 16 days? Because uh, I looked at my the walkthrough that I wrote and saw when I edited the last page of the walkthrough. Walkthrough, you say? What's <laughs> yes. this walkthrough you speak of? So I wrote the entire walkthrough for IGN's wikis uh, for Red Dead. And I completed the game and completed the walkthrough in 16 days, but I took two days off. Okay. So... 14 days. 14 days. Now, those were those real days off, or those days you ended up working on other things? So, those were real days off. Okay. Because I took them after the game came out. Okay. Um, because Halloween 
Oh, well, Halloween and is very Halloween important. and Dungeons and Dragons called. So, and I, after working like twenty hours straight, I felt like I should probably take some days off. This was a good. Uh, <laughs> this was a good policy on your part. So you wrote the guide, uh, and once again, uh, people who know the show know that we have a lot of guide writers on here. <laughs> you work with John Ryan, who's, yeah. a, who's a, kind of the stalker. He's wonderful. John Ryan is wonderful, yeah. isn't he? Mm-hmm. Oh man, do you have a, a do you have a, a, a John Ryan story to tell? Yes. So my first day in the office at IGN. Um, John Ryan was away on his honeymoon or his wedding. One of those two. One of those two things. But he left me a very, very nice note that I still have um, about how excited he was to work with me and just a really great, warm, wonderful welcome. And with a note that he kept his whiskey under his desk and I was welcome to it. So it was a, a wonderful, wonderful welcome. Did you drink his whiskey? I did not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you want some of my whiskey? I'm okay right now. All right. I have this Red Bull. I think whiskey might lull me for, further into sleep. Oh, we don't want that. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. You've had, a, you've had a long few days. John Ryan, anecdotes aside, um, you're here as you were on IGN SpoilerCast uh, because you completed the game very quickly, but because you completed the game from the perspective of almost nobody I've talked to and I absolutely love this you beat Red Dead Redemption 2 not just without having beaten Red Dead Redemption 1 but without somehow without knowing how Red Dead 1 ended yeah I actually knew nothing about Red Dead Revolver or Red Dead Redemption I don't know how I did this so I I had played Red Dead Redemption Uh but I had played it doing random stuff so I had no recollection of the story or anything. I just played at a friend's house. Yeah. And somehow I spent all of these years without anyone trying to talk to me about Red Dead Revolver or Red Dead Redemption. I know Red Dead Re- Revolver, the story has nothing to do with it, but I just, I didn't know anything at all. That's freaking amazing, beautiful, and wonderful. <laughs> so you end up playing this game that you're kind of interested in anyway for yeah. work. Mm-hmm. But you don't know the prequel setup. You didn't watch Red Dead in Five Minutes, written by Jared Petty. I did not. Yeah, produced by Mark. I went in totally blind. And obviously, if you're listening or watching now, you know that spoilers for both Red Dead Redemption and Red Dead Redemption 2 are about to hit home. Mm -hmm. So if uh, if you're not interested in those, skip to the second half of the show where we'll be talking about other things. But the spoilers are coming out now. Casey DeFridis, what in the world was it like for you? to play through Red Dead Redemption to not knowing what it was leading toward. How did that hit you in a way that you, now that you know what happens mm-hmm. and you've been filled in on yeah. the details, how was, let's go back to the beginning, try to imagine and remember mm-hmm. the time before you play through it. What were the most impacting parts of that story for you? So, um, man, so I know Micah has nothing to do with Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. But I knew immediately he was a terrible person. (laughs) (laughs) Start the one. You're like, Mike is terrible. Yeah, I think I'm in that camp. Mike Mike is awful. Yeah. And Dutch was one of those people. Immediately, I thought, okay, like Dutch is the level-headed, kind leader who's trying to do his best. And Micah is the wild card, the bad one, the evil one. And as I was playing through the game, I kept wavering back and forth between whether Dutch was actually a bad guy or not. Uh-huh. And I, that was an interesting So you did No, Dutch yeah. ends up the bad guy. I had no idea. I didn't know. How long did, like, so literally down to the last second, are you still sitting there? Like, <sighs> when's the moment that you're like, oh my gosh, he's taking a heel turn? Or did you mm-hmm. think he was going to come back and redeem himself even then? After he 
killed the old woman who was helping us get, I think, Javier? Yeah. Yeah. So in chapter five, there's an old woman who's leading us to a prison to mm-hmm. save Javier when we're in, um, gosh, what was that island's name? Uh, Guamra. Guamra. And he just kills her after she asked for more gold. And yeah. even Arthur is taken aback by that moment saying, why, you killed her for no reason. Yeah. And, you know, that just is hypocritical to the message he had been saying previously, which made me think he had, is far too gone. Um, especially because Hosea had just been killed as well. And Hosea has been, had been Dutch's best friend for forever and seemed like the level-headed one kind of keeping him in check. Mm-hmm. And now he doesn't have that anymore. Was it believable for you that he had taken... Based on the events of the game mm-hmm. that had unfolded before that, the tragedy that unfolded the game, the traumatic head trauma that he endures, the, the constant stress, was it believable for you that he took that step? Like, did you understand why he was doing what he was doing if, I uh, think from your perspective? it was incredibly believable and i think some of the characters in the game said this as well it's not so much that he changed as a person it's that he let his true colors come out and it's kind of crazy to think about but there are people in in real life that act like this that make you think that they are better than they are and then they continuously let you down and then keep telling you, no, you have to have faith in making you think that you're in the wrong for doubting him, even though he keeps proving you right. Have you known a Dutch? And I have known a Dutch. Yeah. And it infuriates me hmm. that I was duped once again <laughs> by a person <laughs> like this, even in a game. Because I kept thinking, no, no, like he's doing his best. He's trying. He's He really has everyone's um, like best interest in mind. He's really doing his best. It's really difficult. It's hard. I feel empathy for him. I feel bad for him. And then in the end of the day, he's just a terrible person who is, you know, putting on that charm. And uh, he was acting and manipulating and it was done so expertly that he just totally pulled the, like, <laughs> like what is it? The rug the over, wool my, over, the wool over my eyes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, entirely. And this is one of the things that you know, once my boyfriend was able to start playing the game, yeah. that we had a lot of conversations about because he came from the same perspective as me. He didn't know anything. Oh my gosh! I know both? neither of us, right? It's crazy. And considering how much we both love video games, it's really odd, right? Yeah, it is. This, that's why I was uh, honestly. I mean, I enjoy you as a commentator, as an editor, as a friend, uh, as as a colleague in the industry, but. Right now, I feel like I kind of found the holy grail in finding a person that does what you do for a living that didn't know. know. It was so great. I don't know. And so we were having that discussion. We would argue about it. And he's like, no, Dutch is a bad guy. He caught on immediately. Okay. He knew that Dutch was a bad guy. So you guys were arguing about this. Yeah. And I'm like, and I, as what I said to you, I said, no, like Dutch is trying his best. It's difficult. It's hard. And so you thought, he's a nuanced hero. He's yeah. Okay. Yeah, oh, he's right. just like, bad things keep happening to him. And he doesn't know how to react. And it's like, no, like, he's he's causing those bad things. He has no one to blame but himself. My boyfriend caught on to that very quickly. Hmm. Like, way, way before I did. Did, did he give you a, a I told you shift so when, when, the, when the heel turn really does just blatantly happen? He's or? too kind for that. Oh, that's cool. All right. <laughs> so... Seeing Duchess Degeneration from that perspective and seeing the way the character was approached and the way it turned out there, what was it like for you seeing that very oddly ambiguous ending with the Mexican standoff? Uh, what did that mean to you? Which ending? At the end of the epilogue. Okay. 
Um, the final appearance of Dutch. So, originally I hated the, that ending. Okay. Um, I had wanted to kill Micah since that mission in Strawberry. <laughs> I tried. It, the game didn't let me. Yeah, you're just trying to like, um, lure bobcats near him or, yeah. or, or wildcats. Or just or not save him. The game yeah. wouldn't let you. Like, not allowed to kill Micah. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they took that away from me <laughs> by not letting me kill Micah. But um, I didn't understand the ending. I thought it was so strange and didn't make any sense to me that Dutch would just kill Micah and walk off and leave John all of this gold. Okay. Like, why would he do that? Mm-hmm. And um, Destin Ligari from IGN explained it on our spoiler cast that he saw it as Dutch keeping his promise to Arthur Morgan to... to take care of John. Hmm. Did you buy into that? I think he's just crazy. Honestly, (laughs) I don't know. I have no idea. Well, one of the things I like about Dutch uh, and the way they treat him in the game is that they do treat his... I mean, the the Dutch has real issues, is is very apparent. But they do treat those with a lot of ambiguity. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mentioned the the traumatic head injury. Yes. um, So that was something that wasn't made totally apparent right did that affect him or did it not they don't tell you and i like that mm-hmm. I, it's obvious it hurt him it's obvious it did so he keeps yeah. talking about it in camp afterward and and but he's not like i've suffered a traumatic head injury that is accelerating my so degeneration so that's something that. that i completely missed a lot of the campside interactions yeah I missed because I was playing through the game as fast as possible because I was writing the walkthrough. So I missed a lot of side missions. I missed a lot of banter in the camp. And I think that would especially affect the way that you take in the story because those side conversations are so important. They are, but I also love that you got... I think part of the the brilliance of the design of the game uh, and one of the things that they got right way more than they got wrong was that you can miss that stuff and mm-hmm. still have a coherent Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I missed a lot. There are mm-hmm. things in that play, in my playthrough, I know I never saw. Yeah. You know? and, and I wonder a lot about that. And I wonder how many people, like, went on the second date with Mary mm-hmm. and had the camera turn right so they could see they could make a move. Uh, oh. Did that happen to you? <laughs> I didn't play it because it wasn't a necessary mission right. to play. <laughs> Yeah, you know, just like, oh, wait, I can I can try to put my arm mm-hmm. around her. Like, yeah. but you kind of have to be paying attention or you completely miss it in this long theater sequence. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And I know I missed a lot. Um, uh, see Gavin. Uh, the game more. is incredibly dense. Yeah. It is mind-blowing how dense it is. There's a lot going on there. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that it all works uh, blows me away. But... Again, did the head have anything to do? Is it just that he's always who he was? Is is he is he just as you said crazy, or is he angry, or can he just desperate, or what's what's going on with Dutch? Did he I, snap? I think he was used to being revered as a competent leader, and as soon as other people started seeing him in a way he didn't see himself, he started to break and lash out at the people around him for not matching his own views. That sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah I know. Wow. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> That's worrisome. Uh, we'll save that for another time. Uh, the, uh, but what you said about keeping the promise to John, I mean, what about his last interaction with Arthur? Man. Um, 
So which ending did you get? So I ended up on the cliffside, uh, fist fighting Micah on mm-hmm. the cliffside, and uh, watching the uh, watching the sun uh, come up, and that being the end of it. There, that's where I went out. Same. I think a majority of the people that I've spoken to have that ending as well because uh, we're all nice people who did good and said howdy lots. And also we really like those deep discounts that came with being a good person. It's nice having those deep discounts. (laughs) I mean, it's it's paying so much less than firearms. Exactly. I got a Missouri Foxtrotter for half off because I'm a good person. I wish her life worked like that. I, I think know. I'm a decent guy. Like, hey, I'm really nice. I haven't been mean to anyone on social media. Can I have 50% off? <laughs> That'd be amazing. What an incentive. I know. I think we've just invented a new salt culture. Yeah. Also, oh. um, I think there there might be a Black Mirror episode about that. So oh, maybe it good. might not be Okay, all never too mind. Good. You're, you're probably right. Yeah, okay. A little clockwork orange there uh, in reverse. But yeah, that's that's what I got. That's what you got. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that? Um I'm trying to like recall exactly how it was. You know, the hand comes down, the foot comes down on your hand with the revolver, mm-hmm. and there's the final exchange. And I thought Dutch might have had a second thought and saved Arthur. That's what I thought was going to happen. I mm-hmm. thought Dutch was going to take care of Micah for me and kind of sit with Arthur during his last moments and try and redeem himself as this father figure and friend that he should have been. Yeah. And I felt incredibly betrayed that he would just leave. Yeah. And I know he prevented Micah from killing Dutch himself, but I mean, it was obvious he was dying. Yeah. Was so like... he really didn't do much good. He didn't do nearly what he could have. He gave Arthur point. a slower, more painful death. <laughs> so... <laughs> so actually... <laughs> right? Of, like... What was it like for you... Contextualize it. So again, no, you, John Marston, beloved mm-hmm. to many people through Red Dead One. Before so we get to, jo- oh, I ahead. didn't even know John Marston was the main character. I'm sorry, I was so ignorant. I you, really you didn't know. Sorry, that's yeah. why I have yeah. you here. Mm-hmm. You played so much mm-hmm. Red Dead Two. Yes. I mean, when you say 14 days, you're not talking about 14 days of regular play. You're talking about 12, wiki 14 12 hours days. a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about playing the game for like 150 hours. Yes. Uh, in, in, in one sprint. Um, so you didn't know John was the protagonist. I didn't. Of the second game. So there you are at the epilogue, and you don't know, even as that game ends, you don't know that John Marston is responsible for mm-hmm. the death of Judge Dutch Vanderlyn several mm-hmm. years later. Mm hmm. So what was that scene like not knowing that? Like, did it mean, do you feel like it meant less to you, more to you? What did it mean that this thing was happening? Or was it all seen through Arthur's eyes for you? So I think it was all seen through Arthur's eyes for me. That's a good way of putting it. Because John represented everything that Arthur wanted but didn't get. And all he wanted was to live vicariously through John. And it was very surreal to be able to see that through as John as kind of a um, last wish come true for Arthur but I also feel like I wasn't as attached to John as I should have been and I don't think that's a fault for Red Dead Redemption 2 I mean I think they assumed most people were coming into this game already having a strong attachment to this character Mm -hmm. and I don't fault them for not putting in more time to develop that relationship with John. Um, because at the end of it, I didn't feel that strongly connected to that character compared mm-hmm. to 
I don't know, Charles. Like, I felt more connected to Charles than I did to John. Mm-hmm. Well, what about Charles Tree? Um, I think we spent so much time with him in the, the later acts yeah. and saw that he was always trying to help people and do good. And that just drew me to him. Whereas with John, I feel like we went on very few missions with him. Mm-hmm. And even that the very first one that we rescued him from the side of the mountain after Abigail asked us to go... Again, I didn't know who this was. I thought I was just rescuing some stupid younger member, as Arthur put it. <laughs> yeah, he does. The fact yeah. that he doesn't particularly like John. Yeah, exactly. Is, like is... because I'm playing as Arthur, Arthur doesn't see John as a competent person. That was my attitude towards John this entire time. He's in. He was a less competent member of the group, and that's why I'm not going on missions with him as often. Well, by, and by <laughs> the way, that in a way does continue. I mean, yeah. I I love John, and you can you can chalk it up to his reluctance, but. The first thing that happens in Red Dead Redemption 1, mm-hmm. has it, have you talked to anybody about this? Not the first thing, no. There's this awesome sequence where you ride in on a train, you hear all these conversations. You don't know who you are. You mm-hmm. don't know who this guy is. Mm-hmm. You literally get off a train, some dudes like him, and you go riding up to a sheriff to go up to a fort to arrest Bill Williamson. Mm-hmm. Uh, or to kill him. Oh, man. Um, I never and, liked Bill. And you don't know who Bill is. You yeah. don't know who John is. You don't yeah. know who these people are. You don't mm-hmm. know why you're doing He's literally explaining little bits of it the way you do. Yeah. And, but he goes up to the fort and he's like, Bill, get it. And they just shoot him. Like, yeah. he's just terribly incompetent. Yeah. Like, he ha- they just shoot him and leave him to die <laughs> on the side of the road. And a lady comes along and, like, takes him back to her farm. and Yeah. Keeps him it's just John being completely inept. It's great. Um, and so it <laughs> oh, fits. No. It does fit. Gosh, John... Did yeah. do some silly things. <laughs> John makes some bad choices. But I, I did grow attachment to him in the epilogue. Um, he tried so hard for Abigail, and that made me develop a little soft spot for him. And how he put up with um, Uncle, <laughs> even yeah. though how annoying he could be. Um, but gosh, can I talk about how uh, John just went and bought that property without consulting his wife? I uh, please do. Because <laughs> expound. Um, man, so. If I had offhandedly said, looking in a catalog or something, I was like, oh, this uh, $100,000 car looks really awesome. I'd love to have one one day. Yeah. And then my significant other just went out and bought one to impress me, even though we didn't have the money for it. Mm-hmm. I would be livid. You'd be, be like, really angry. Yeah, I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, I, off, I, didn't, I haven't even seen the car. I don't know what it <laughs> looks like. I don't know if it works. We don't have the money for this. You put us in debt for literally the rest of our lives. For what? To impress me? No. Financially irresponsible. Okay, but... so that, that would be the end of it. <laughs> so Man. John Marston should not buy you a Tesla. Gosh, no. That's, okay. That's, that's, I don't know. Enough. That just, it gave me the biggest, it, when he did that, just mm-hmm. went to the bank and just got loans to get that house, or the property rather. So much anxiety. I'm glad you brought <laughs> that up. Um, I It was one of those cases where I felt like that's the most John Marston thing to do. Yeah. But that's because it's kind of a bad idea. Again, yeah. like, I forget a, kind of a bad idea. It's a hugely... It is a grand romantic gesture. Yeah. And grand romantic gestures are usually stupid. Yeah. They can, I'm sorry. They can be wonderful, but yes. general, generally the wonderful ones are done in concert with someone. Yeah. And that's... Uh, <laughs> yes, I'm with you there, actually. I, I, uh, I, I was kind of... There was a part of me that wondered... I mean, I knew that John and Abigail ended up mm-hmm. together... But I wondered if her first reaction when she came back was going to be fury. 
Yeah. Uh, it's like, uh, what did you do? This land is a piece of crap. Like, yeah. are you a crazy person? Why yeah. did you buy this terrible farm? You don't know how to ranch. You're but, in debt. Yeah. But obviously she loved him very much. Although so. she was angry that he was paying for that by bounty hunting. Yeah. The one thing she didn't want yeah. to do it. And it's so. like, what, what do you want him to do, Abigail? You want this nice fancy place, but you don't want him to work? Like, what are you doing? Well, I kind but, of felt like she was, yeah. in that situation, I was kind of on her side. Yes. Though, because, like, that's just effectively the same kind of mess again yeah because know. you're putting yourself in danger all right so what uh what can your significant other buy you without without like checking ahead of time um anything that won't prevent us from paying rent next month okay all right that's good all <laughs> right so so anything that up to like anything under next month's rent as long as you got enough in the bank account to make that yes okay that's an okay romantic <laughs> gesture anything above that better watch out yeah. Good to know. Please don't buy me a car. <laughs> Remember that, folks. Yeah, I mean, I, oh man, it's Christmas time right now, and mm-hmm. it's the car commercials for rich people. Yeah. Do you, oh my I, gosh. I don't watch much television, but they're on YouTube sometimes. Uh, yeah. Videos. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, with a giant big bow. Yeah, it's like, huh. and, and it's like, unless, I just can't imagine getting someone such a big purchase without consulting them yeah. first. It's like, hey, I would like to spend uh, 20 grand on you. Do you like this car? Yeah, <laughs> Before yeah. I go and buy, I'm just I'm just too practical, not romantic enough. I think. No, I want to do nice things for people, and I make grand romantic gestures, but I've never had the money to make expensive. Ones. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so, the thing. That's the difference. That's the, I guess maybe when you're in that tax bracket, it's just like buying Hot Wheels. You yeah, know? Maybe yeah. It's, it's like, I think she I doesn't hate, like it. It's no big deal. I think I just hate and covet pe- for people who have more than I do. That's really what it's my problem. Yeah. To <laughs> be honest with you, yesterday, I did not do a lot of. You know what I did yesterday? I was so happy. I was so proud. What'd you do? Yesterday I got up and instead of working, because it's been a lot of straight days of work, mm-hmm. I got up, I went over, I edited a feature for Zach. Mm-hmm. I sent an email and then I called a lift and I went to the zoo <gasps> and I spent four hours at the zoo all I'm... by myself walking around and it was wonderful. I'm proud of you, Jared. It was a good day. I love Aww. zoos. Do you like zoos? I love zoos. Have you been to the Oakland Zoo? I love the Oakland Zoo. It's, it's so, so small. good. It's and it, there's so much elevation. Yes. It's just so pretty. I love going there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I have to go there usually on my own or really slow because Angie's ankles don't turn after uh, the accident. Mm-hmm. So she can do the hills. Mm-hmm. But it takes a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, down's actually harder than up. So yeah, it always is. Yeah, and so that's... But I love the Oakland Zoo. Oh my gosh, the mm-hmm. sun bears. Mm-hmm. So They're super the cute. Bears. I really like the otters. otters. Otters have more fun than anybody. Yeah. I don't... I would want to be reincarnated as an otter. Yeah, very good. <laughs> a river otter. A river otter, not yeah. a sea otter. No, they seem to have an easier time than the sea otters. Yeah, all the sea otters have more things trying to eat them. Yeah. A river otters. I don't want to deal with that. No, you don't need that crap. Definitely not. <laughs> I like you a lot. You're great. Um, I hope this makes it into the cut. Uh, <laughs> I may use the sea otter cut if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. Video. Okay, I may just randomly cut that in at one point. <laughs> so when it comes to when it comes to John, um, overall, did you like him? I mean, he's he's kind of goofy, um, but I did. Did, did you? I, I, yeah. I wonder if there's enough in that game to really draw you to him. I, I think, especially near the end of the game, and you see him kind of grow and become more competent and more favored over time. Yeah. And as I said, there's not a whole lot of screen time with him. Yeah. But from what there is, I did 
end up liking him a lot more. And I think that's just because Arthur became so protective of him and because mm-hmm. Arthur is your avatar into this world, so it's very easy to relate to what his thoughts are. Mm-hmm. And because he wanted to protect John and he felt love for John, it was easy to develop those feelings as well. Especially in the epilogue, you kind of, as the main character, you grow to like him. It makes a lot of sense to me. What was it like for you? Did, like, watching him, like, reach under his bed and, like, pull out his... And the song starts playing. Was that, Did that mean anything to you? Like, because he's putting, he's like, I'm putting putting on my old video game duds from the game you haven't played. Or did that scene still get you because of the song? Or what so, was it like? So, um, when, after the, so this is the first time he gets his gun back out. Ah, okay. So right? that was more impacting for you then. There's two times he does it. Yeah. First time is when he has to go over that night and kill all those dudes. Mm-hmm. The second is when he puts on the John Marston Oh, yeah. And there's a freaking Gene Autry song suddenly. Oh, um, yeah. See, I had no idea what significance that had. Okay. I Was, were those the clothes that Abigail got him? Those are the clothes that he wears in Red Dead 1. Okay. That's but his is, Red Dead 1. Are those... Those are some of that is what she ordered him. Okay. And then some of that is his uh, his mm-hmm. Red Dead outfit. So it's just like, I know you. Mm-hmm. You're the John I remember. Mm-hmm. We're gonna go off and be John again. <laughs> like that's and yeah. then in the game where like there's all this beautiful but mm-hmm. dark moody music. Yeah. It's just like cowboys in the sunshine riding <laughs> across the prairie, so happy. You know. And I yeah. was that's my favorite moment in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's oh, not man. because of his outfit. Yeah. It's because of the singing cowboy. Thing. Yeah. I love that so much. It's like freaking Roy Rogers. Anyway, please continue. I apologize. Um, I started. No, you're fine. Job. Um. Well, we were talking about John. <laughs> yeah, we we're just talking, you know what I let us off that we'll just go past that and I'll ask maybe the most important question. Um, for you, what was the impact of this game bereft of that context that the first game gave? As a standalone game, what's your evaluation of this? What was it like for you, that experience? As a standalone game, I think it performs incredibly exceptionally well. I think it is a... it You don't need to have played the other one to get a complete experience from this one. I thought the epilogues were a little bit weird, having not played the first one Mm -hmm. um just because they didn't spend as much time developing this character and making you feel attached to him as they would have had there not been another game already okay (laughs) um but i very quickly got over that after a few missions in the epilogue because i grew that attachment to john but as a whole without everything i don't think i missed very much like, a lot early in the marketing, Rockstar said over and over again, this is Arthur's story. Yes. People would ask, are you switching characters? Mm-hmm. This is Arthur's story. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the... Did you feel like John's epilogue was, in fact, Arthur's story still, The based on the way they wrote it? I think it was no. Okay. So, okay. in short, no, but I do see it as a continuation of the fulfillment of what Arthur wanted for John. Okay. And I think seeing that fulfilled is kind of like imagine it from arthur's perspective if he was able to know this <laughs> after after death mm-hmm. i think it would be it would put him at peace right yeah I, I think there's a real possibility there i until you know john had to go back out and start killing everyone and see him that last scene in the barn which john ryan graciously showed me oh dear. <laughs> john showed john ryan showed you the end of red dead one mm-hmm. yeah they show you what happens after no. Did he tell you what happens after? I don't think so. Oh. So he showed it. He showed it to me with the context of that the two epilogues were heartbreaking for him. Yeah, they are. And I said, 
why would they be heartbreaking for you? They're just the beginning of the next game. I don't understand. And he's like, let me show you. Because it all comes to nothing. Yeah. So do you do you know what the final, final moment of Red Dead Redemption 1 is? Has anybody talked with you? I think just John standing in his bar in that Oh lady. my God, nobody's talked to you about the end. There's another... There's an epilogue. It's only one mission. <laughs> okay. The f- oh my, Casey. <laughs> I don't know. Ruin something here. Ruin it. Okay, so you what John Ryan showed okay. you happens. Yes. Oh my gosh, I can't believe no one's told you this. This is great. You get to find a live reaction. Here okay. it is. Casey. Yes. We see that beautiful scene. That mm-hmm. sad scene. Fade it's out. not beautiful. Yeah, no, it's not. It's terrible. <laughs> it's gruesome. And then a special marker appears on the map mm-hmm. for a new mission, just kind of subtly. Okay. You go to that new mission. And you're standing at the grave of mm-hmm. John and Abigail Marston. Oh. Abigail Marston's uh, death year is a few years later. Mm-hmm. It's about, I think, I'm trying to say 1917, something like that. Mm-hmm. And maybe as late as 1922. And uh, you're standing there, and the camera pans up, and you are Jack Marston. Okay. Wearing a gun. That was John's. And that you, was Arthur's. And you just buried, <laughs> you've just buried Abigail, and you get on a horse and you ride off to find the man who killed your father. And you meet his family, mm-hmm. and ask casually where he might be, mm-hmm. and you meet some other people and ask, and he's hunting duck by a river, and you find the man that killed your father, and you gun him down on a riverside all alone. And ride off kind of empty. And that's the end of the game. And oh Jack gets pulled into the cycle of violence and becomes a part of it too. Mm-hmm. And that's so you, the whole family is destroyed. <sighs> yeah. Jack well, doesn't escape. He, well, now the, I'm sins sad. Of the, the sins of the father yeah. are visited on the son. Well, knowing that he's old enough to be able to carry that out. At least they're able to live in peace at least a few years. It's like three to five years, something uh, like that. Yeah, and it doesn't. You don't get the idea. It's peace. She dies really young, like, and he doesn't look peaceful. Mm-hmm. Like he looks grizzled and angry. Man, and it's just like, oh my gosh. And you kill the guy, but yeah, it doesn't feel. He's unrepentant. Mm-hmm. He's horrible, just as he always was. And you both go for your guns, and you shoot first, and. Then it's just over. And you play the rest of the post game as Jack if you want to. That's yeah. It. Okay. So that's how it ends. I guess they followed that that formula for Red Dead Redemption 2 as well, where you play as a, a protege yeah. of sorts. That's the idea, mm-hmm. except they only play the one mission in the first and they made it a whole campaign. And what do you think of that ending? It's, I'm curious. That ending? Yeah. Gosh. It makes sense. It's also very depressing. Yeah. So depressing. And even John worked so hard to make a peaceful life and for that all to get taken away from him because of some stupid bounty hunters. The Pinkertons, right? Yeah. It sucks, like to put it frankly. It's rough. Yeah. Fortunately, Red Dead 3 will be the Ballad of Charles and it's all about going to Canada, starting a family and living quietly in a farming simulator. Where nobody ever messes with See, you. See, but I, I want a, a Sadie Adler. Oh, that's so do I. Yeah. I want a Sadie Adler game. And I think they know we yeah. want that. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's obvious that she was a breakout character. Yeah. And uh, 
I loved her. Oh, yeah. How could you not? What do you love about Sadie? Gosh. um, Man, Sadie was great. Even just that when we just took her to town Mm -hmm. the first time, it's like, oh, like, we'll take you out, like, whatever. I thought it was going to be a throwaway mission where we just talked. And then she just completely proved herself to be so much more than just someone to talk to. And she, she was awesome. I didn't expect that at all for her to be to know how to shoot and gunsling because all the other women that they show in that game up to that point, like they didn't go out on missions with us. They stayed at camp. Yeah. She's like, that ain't me. Yeah. But also there's the, I mean, she's the only character in the game in a game full of dysfunctional people. Mm-hmm. Sadie looks John in the eye at one, and casually at one mm-hmm. point says, I want to die, John. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Like, it's just like, and that's years later. You're mm-hmm. like, ah, mm-hmm. Ah, gosh, I didn't even remember that part. Yeah, she actually just looks, and she, it's not dramatic. Yeah, it's in passing. She's like, "I'm gonna die, John." Yeah, and it just goes on. Yeah, and you're like, "Oh my god, what a great character!" Mm-hmm. So I hope we get more Sadie. I hope we get more Charles. I I, I love these people. Um, mm-hmm. Or we just have to play a game where Lenny never died. Um, yeah, no, I was so sad, with Lenny, because they you they give you that wonderful mission where you get to drink with him and have fun. And then they just kill him, and they don't even give you a second to mourn. I had to pause the game in the middle of this mission. I'm like sitting here writing, and I just pause the game, stop. It's like I need it. I need a second Pour one to process room. this. It's like because they just they don't give you any time to think about it. It just happens, and I guess it makes sense in the game that that's what's happening to the characters. It just happens, and yeah. you don't have time to think about it you don't have time to mourn you just have to go because your life is on the line and they do that to the player and they it was so impactful favorite npc at that point in the game or your favorite character at that point in the game yeah really, and mm-hmm. make his death like nothing yeah like it doesn't like it doesn't matter and i think that's powerful I, exactly 100 percent. yeah that's good like even even when they when sean went out oh just yeah, yeah, and because he and he was the first one, and yeah. even that, we just rescued this guy. We yeah. just rescued, and he was a kid, basically, as as far as Arthur saw him. Yeah, kind of a dumb kid. Gosh, it's a sad. sad. They fatten you up for the kill in this game. I know. Think about. I mean, we we don't get to know Molly all that well, but when Molly just suddenly explodes, yeah, like I I knew, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. Because um, the very first time she asked Arthur, can I talk to you about something? Like, have you talked to Dutch recently? Yeah. And they just brush her off. Yeah. And don't talk to her again. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, this will this will be a thing after this mission. Arthur will go back and talk to her. And he never does. Right. And then again, she brings it up again. Hey, can I talk to you? And again, she's brushed aside. I was like, this is important. This is something important. And everyone is ignoring her. And it's going to come back to bite them in the ass. Yeah. But we find out later that she actually wasn't the one to, to yeah, squeal. She was just drunk and trying to get attention. Yeah. That poor, poor lady. She just gunned down in cold blood. Yeah. By Miss Grimshaw, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's like, it. It's like, look over Miss Grimshaw's holding the gun. Like, <sighs> like this is I not... guess at this point, that, it, that entire family group was just on the edge looking for someone to blame. And yeah. she painted a bright red target on her, on her back. It's a well-constructed story. All right, so let's uh, let's talk about game of the year. I've I brought you over here for an ulterior purpose. I have a okay. secret motive here, and that's to try to influence the IGN game of the year voting. Okay. Uh, by bringing you in and making my pitch for okay. game of the year for Red Dead Redemption Two. Actually, I think we're gonna do a whole episode about this later. But okay. but uh, I you know 
Guess what? I like Red Dead Redemption too. Might be hard to believe. Never would have guessed. No, um, certainly not. Uh, <laughs> but I do love the game, and it would be my pick uh, for game of the year after after a lot of thought about the, about it. And I think everybody, obviously, in one of the strongest years for video games ever, mm-hmm. yeah. the field is just ridiculously wide right now. I mean. The big three that you keep hearing based on the game awards would be uh, um, probably Red Dead Redemption Two, yeah. God of War, yeah. and the third one is kind of. I mean, mine would be Monster Hunter World, but uh-huh. I am very biased. So you're very biased. Oh, yours? Yeah. When I think the big three on that, I think Celeste, uh, yeah. the, the ones that are getting the most buzz. Mm-hmm. But then there are half a dozen other games that are real. Oh, contenders. and Dead Cells as well. Dead Cells comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. I've heard Messenger sometimes. I've heard, there's a bunch of stuff like that. And then Spider Man. Uh, what's it? Return of the Oprah Den. Spider Man. Yeah. Oh, there uh, we go. There's been a lot. Yeah. What a year. <laughs> it's been a good year. But as you said a second ago, I'm not going to get my advocate in this meeting, am I? Uh, because Casey is here to argue for Monster Hunter. I'm sorry. <laughs> don't be so, sorry at all. <laughs> here's the thing. I never know what criteria to use for game of the year. Should I be looking subjectively what was my favorite game to play? Should I be looking more objectively at what merit, what the games have as a merits? Uh-huh. What are your thoughts? What do you think? How do, oh, should, what do I think? How, oh, she turns how, how do you judge a game? Around. Do you look at like which game did I have the most fun with and voluntarily play? Or do you look at the games as an objective way and say, this game did this well and this well and this well, and they did those objectively better than this game did, so that makes this game better. I definitely prefer on that end the term comparative to objective because okay. I think criticism must be subjective, even okay. when we are endeavoring to look at things contextually mm-hmm. to consider them. That we're, we're doing it comparatively. We're saying mm-hmm. here's this game, but on the other hand, compared to other works of art from the same period. And compared to other works of art that preceded it, mm-hmm. how does it match up? Yeah. There's that scene in Dead Poets Society. Yeah, you've seen Dead Poets mm-hmm. Society? And remember, they're drawing the graph about how poetry's great. And it's like, you know, if you take the you know the, the, the greatness of the poem, the relevance mm-hmm. of the poem, and it covers a massive area, and that shows yeah. the poem. And, and Robin Williams grabs the book, is like, tells him to rip that section out, and calls it, calls it excrement. Yeah. I think there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. As... People who criticize art for a living, and you and I both do that. We write mm-hmm. reviews, um, which sounds weird to say. Wow, and, and kind of pretentious. Uh, I think that we must be comparative and contextual, but we recognize their subjectivity. And games are both art and toys. Mm-hmm. So fun's important, or at least the experience that it, its ability to transport me somewhere that I want to go, or if I don't want to go there, that I need to go, and, and I'm compelled to stay in. Mm-hmm. Some people have argued that Red Dead Redemption 2 isn't fun. I, I'm not in that camp, but I understand what people are trying to articulate with that, I think. The idea that this is a, an experience that is beautiful, meaningful, and compelling, but not necessarily sprightly and happy. Yeah. I still had fun with the game, yeah. but I want to be a cowboy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so for me, it's a little easier. Um, to my answer, I, I always give a long answer to a short question. Sorry, Casey. No, don't apologize. Is that for me, I definitely recognize that I have differences between games that are my favorites experientially and that I believe are great. But I do think there's a lot of overlap in those areas. Mm-hmm. And it's a combination of the game's artistic critical merit in comparison to the works around it and the legacy that created it. And 
it's a measure of what I regard. I think of as the spirit of it. Mm-hmm. Did it move me? Yeah. Does it move me? Um, you know, people can gripe about Dark Souls 2 to the end of time, but no one can ever take away walking through that first crack and seeing Majula for the first time and hearing those chimes and looking out over that ocean when I was expecting a boss fight and I get a silent, beautiful village. I will always have that moment burned into my mind and that'll make it one of my favorites in gaming. In the weakest Dark Souls game. Yeah. <laughs> it's still one of my, it's easily my favorite moment in the series. Mm-hmm. Games are weird. What about you? Yeah. Gosh, I don't know. I think we can all agree that Red Dead was great. God of War was great. Monster Hunter is great. Well, let's get the Monster Hunter then. Gosh. That's your um, argument. I don't even know. Like, that's the thing. I don't know what my game of the year is. All I know is that I put almost 400 hours into Monster Hunter World and Holy still crap. play it. So just based on that alone, wouldn't that be my game of the year? Unless, <laughs> unless it's a gambling game and you have an addiction. Yeah, I think that probably is going to be a good... I mean... Like, I mean, I, we just, I just got Smash this weekend. I love Smash Bros. Smash Bros. is one of my favorite games, probably the game, one of the games I've spent the most amount of hours in, and it's brand new, and I just got it. You know what game I played on Saturday? I played Monster Hunter for a few hours. Which one were you playing? World? Or... I was playing World. Okay. Because they, they have a winter event going on, okay. and I, they have some event quests, and, you know, there's some weapons and armor I still haven't made, and, <laughs> like, I just... I don't know. Um, well, evangelize uh, for a second. Let's let's focus on this. You're so moved by Monster Hunter. You love it very much. And in, in a year that Red Dead Redemption Two, which is a, a, a world changing mm-hmm. open world game, came out, you spent 400 hours playing and loving Monster Hunter World, and that's where you find your heart drawn to when we first ask the question. Just articulate not what you think makes it better, but what you love about. And maybe that's an argument enough. <laughs> um, I love Monster Hunter World because it it's one of the very few games that is purely cooperative, mm. which relies on the way you work with other people. And not a whole lot of games do that and do it well and do it in a way that still requires you personally to have a high level of skill to be able to play it effectively. And I really like that level of challenge and teamwork that is required to overcome great challenges. And once you're finally able to take down that one monster that was giving you trouble, will give you a sense of accomplishment that very few games are able to give you. How does it differ from something like Destiny 2 in that regard? So I think they're very similar okay. in that in that way. Um, when Monster Hunter World came out, it's funny because I have a I have a group of like fifteen friends who I always play online games with, and most of the ones who were playing Destiny Two were incredibly looking forward to Monster Hunter World because it gives them the same kind of feeling where they get to cooperatively play with another person and overcome great challenges. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them really liked Monster Hunter World for that reason as well. And me personally, I'm just, I am drawn more into medieval fantasy type games over sci-fi type games. And I've also been playing Monster Hunter since 2004. So There's that. <laughs> you, you do have a, a, a body of knowledge built in there since the PS2. And I, I loved, I, I think this is kind of built into my experience for the game because I made 
so much content for it Mm -hmm. and even to this day i have people message me or comment on a video that i'm in and say hey i played monster hunter world because of you and i greatly deeply enjoy this game and i would have never played it if i hadn't seen you talk about it as passionately as you have i had one person um direct message me that they were going through a period of deep depression and sadness and saw me talk about monster hunter and got it and they say they said that playing monster hunter helped them through their time of sadness and he thanked me so much for letting them know about this game that helped them as Mm -hmm. much as it did and i think just that kind of interaction and getting being able to help people learn about the game and do well was just so gratifying for me because when I first played Monster Hunter, I had people in the community help me and teach me and stay up until three in the morning teaching me how to headlock with a lance. And if you played the first one, you'll know what that means. <laughs> but um, <laughs> like, it, it's all just- ten of you in the states are <laughs> yeah, all and- <laughs> one hundred and thirty million of you in Japan. Uh, yeah, depending. Yeah. And um, I guess it just has Monster Hunter as a franchise just has a place in my heart that mm-hmm. other games don't have. So I feel like I am innately biased towards this game, well, and if that, I should be looking at it, well, I don't know. I mean, the name more objectively, the interest. I I have an extraordinary bias toward Red Dead because I wasn't joking earlier. I want to mm-hmm. be a cowboy. Yeah. My ideal video game is mm-hmm. a video game where I ride around a big open world being a cowboy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what they made. Yeah. They made my game. You know, I mm-hmm. I short of the Firefly AAA game, I'm never going to get. This is mm-hmm. this is it. Mm-hmm. And and uh, that that's so no our our subjective preferences have to feed into our appreciation for mm-hmm. art, right? I mean, but we also have to allow ourselves to be surprised. Yes, you played 150 hours of Red Dead. Yeah. You obviously enjoyed it. Yes, just didn't enjoy it as much as Monster Hunter. Yeah, I uh, would always say that. But like, I feel like Game of the Year is like which one was better though, and that is a question I feel like I can't answer. Mm-hmm. I think Red Dead Redemption 2 is a very impressive game that will be called back upon for years to come and probably influence games in the future from how it how they did things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I can say the same about Monster Hunter World, mm-hmm. but I know I will still be playing Monster Hunter World next year. <laughs> I think that in this industry, that's vital. Mm-hmm. I think that in criticism in this industry, that's vital. I, having voices speak out I, you know I, I voted for Game of the Year at IGN several times and I tended to be an outlier mm-hmm. uh, on, on most of those not because people at IGN didn't like good games mm-hmm. but because more people were enjoying a particular game that year a little more yeah. than some others and, I know, you know yeah I know so last year at IGN the top two contenders were very obviously um, Mario Odyssey and Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild yeah and basically any vote outside of those two were throwaway third party votes. <laughs> right? Oh, well, so, I think, so throwaway is the hard word. Yeah. What's the value of the... It depends on what you do with the argument. Mm-hmm. If it becomes content, if it becomes material, if it mm-hmm. becomes passion and what you shared with that person that discovered Monster or monster Hunter you're talking about, then no, it's not a throwaway. Mm-hmm. Right? The thing is, I guess... People don't see see the arguments behind yeah. the closed doors. They only see what won. Did anybody 
argue this year for bringing the camera in the room practically every year somebody yeah says. i know yeah we always talk about it and then think about the logistics and if people would speak up as much as they do if there was a camera in the room yeah <laughs> it's because that part I, I love the fight that's my mm-hmm. favorite part of it yeah is, is the big argument but i, I get the i, I get the, the the point you're making there when you're like you want your opinion to matter but mm-hmm. i think that i think that being an outlier is is vital it, it's there's so much to be said for being a passionate in the passionate minority on something mm-hmm. that's good mm-hmm. um so no I, I would say just keep doing that you know you're not throwing it away you're influencing the culture and that's good that's you know? true um i mean we, we were joking about Chloe earlier, but yeah. like, is Chloe is game of the year on anything ever going to be game of the year or not? Maybe one day, yes. Maybe uh, one day. <laughs> because everybody respects, if she says, go play this, mm-hmm. you're more likely People are to gonna go play, play it. it yeah. Know? And that's the and that's the kind of argument you're making here with Monster Hunter. Mm-hmm. So that's those are my thoughts on the matter for what that's worth. I did get a lot of people in the office to play it. Yeah, and there you go. I know a few of them very much love it. Like Tom Marks just started playing again yesterday uh, and he said it felt like it was going back home. <laughs> I, I work over kind of funny. Kevin and Greg were hooked yeah. on it. They mm-hmm. loved it. And my I, I need to get you and, and my friend Strawfoot. He's a Monster Hunter YouTuber. He's had a lot of success. Uh, I need to get you guys in the same room. You've actually been in the same room, but, oh. but didn't meet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you were both at the uh, uh, championships here in San Francisco. This oh, year. Uh, yeah. He was there the same time you were, but you uh-huh. guys didn't cross paths. Yeah. Uh, you probably walked right by each other. Anyway, I was, I was the weird, weird girl with the camera. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Shout out to Strawfoot. He was the... He was the balding bearded guy that kind of goes, hee, hee. He's, uh, he uh, lived in my closet in college. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he'd gotten kicked out of school. I guess that's so... actually a common thing in college. I had a friend who lived in a closet in yeah, college. Yeah, so... he'd, been, he'd been kicked out like his like fifth semester, and he lived in my closet for a while. Uh, well, Florida dorm. closets are very large and spacious. Oh, it's so... a huge closet. Yeah, yeah. He, he did really well. He didn't have a key to our dorm room. So he would, there was this anchor, I kid you not, leaning up against the side of the dorm because mm-hmm. it was on the water. It was weird. So he would climb <laughs> to the second floor up the anchor and go through our window. And That's he spent hilarious. About a semester that is so funny. Yeah. He was, he was great. He is great. He's still one of my best friends. But anyway, Strawfoot, check him out if you love Monster Hunter. Uh, and he does lore videos mostly. Oh, That's nice. Yeah, he's a lore guy. I'll so. have to check those out. Oh, please do. Mm-hmm. He'd love that. Uh, you have Tickling Pink. Um, well, that's Monster Hunter, that's the games we love, and that's Red Dead Redemption. Uh, I think we've got an episode tonight here, Casey, yeah, if I it's all right. I think we do. I'm sorry for talking about Monster Hunter so much on a well, Red Dead podcast. I wanted to. No, I, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, I think through December, through some of these episodes, we're yeah. going to talk about other games people love, because y'all love yeah. games. I think I'm notorious for doing that, so I hope you enjoyed it again. <laughs> Derail the conversation. No, the, the, this, there are no rails for this. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Again, thanks to our Patreon producers. Thanks to everyone who helps us out on Patreon. If you'd like to be a part of that, reddeadradio.com. Hope you will. And hey, I make a lot of other shows. You can find them on this here YouTube channel if you're watching uh, there. Uh, those include Contestants Are You Ready? Uh, the Goofy Quiz Show, uh, where <laughs> that's, that's all actually quite a bit of fun. Uh, Pockets Full of Soup, which is a podcast that you can listen to about the people in our lives that we're thankful for. Uh, what else do I make? Oh, goodness. Uh, I make a thing called Am I Boring You Yet? That's a Patreon exclusive where I ramble about stupid stuff. And then I make a video essay series uh, called Hot Blip and a Jump about uh, how everything with about games is connected. Um, you can also read my stuff on IGN. And of course, watch Kind of Funny Games Daily and Kind of Funny Games Cast where you'll see me pretty much every week. Uh, Casey, 
you are obviously the star of NBC. What? No. Uh, the, the Nintendo <laughs> voice chat. At, no, uh, I'm at not the star. Definitely the star <laughs> of that. Uh, but where else can, can we find you? Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at ShinyKCD. Shiny KCD? Yeah, like a shiny Pokemon, yes. but a, a KC. Are you rare? I mean, I am the only KC DeFritis that is me. Okay, there we, that you are unique, <laughs> indeed. There we are. The Filioque, no doubt. Uh, there's a fun theology joke for uh, those of you that uh, that went to seminary. So, all right. KC, thanks so much for being here. Thank you all for watching. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Happy trails. Mm-hmm.